0: Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to their written words. This is the show where we meet Charlotte area authors and those who visit the Queen City and we hear them read their work.
1: Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Park Road Books, the oldest and only independent bookstore in Charlotte, conveniently located in Park Road Shopping Center. And by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners, with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence. For more information about these book-minded sponsors who help authors give voice to their written words, please visit them online at parkroadbooks.com and cmlibrary.org, or drop by the bookstore or any library branch.
0: Hey, listeners, I'm here at uh, Biblia Feast with Susan Walker. She is the Women's National Book Association, Charlotte chapter, but she's also National Reading Group Month Events Manager. Did I get that right, Susan? Yep. So, 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 so basically that means you're not getting paid anything, they just gave you a long title. That's right, yes. Yeah, Yeah. because this is a volunteer organization.
2: Right, it's a volunteer organization. Um, Women's National Book Association has been around since 1917. It was started before women got the right to vote. And it was started because women were told they couldn't belong to some other book industry professional organizations. So uh, we have a long history. I think about 12 years ago, the organization started National Reading Group Month, which um, is designed, it's basically a marketing program, promotional program, to celebrate book clubs, reading groups, and the joy of shared reading. And so each of our chapters around the country um, does a special event um, with authors, to help celebrate, and so and
0: your event is a movable feast. Yes,
2: yeah. it's a movable feast, and the movable part is the authors. There, we have eight authors at at Biblio Feast, and they go around from table group to table group to talk about themselves and their books.
0: While while eating uh, great Italian food and drinking wine, right? That's right. What could be better? I know, it's very
2: good. Yeah, (laughs) I put in a plug for Maggiano's at South Park. Yeah, exactly.
0: It's a a great venue, and and you've been running around putting this together. And and by the way, thank you. We're going to have on the show today uh, all eight of the the authors who are appearing in these little short segments. But you had to pull this together um, and this is available to members of WNBA but also the public, right? Right,
2: exactly. This is a public event and um, we welcome anybody who loves books and likes, uh, enjoys reading, enjoys meeting and talking with authors. Um, we um, oftentimes get authors who uh, maybe it may be their first books. Um, sometimes we have authors who are you know, quite critically acclaimed. Mm-hmm. Um, But we always try to strive for an interesting mix of authors whose books, um, again, are books that would be the kind of books that a book club would enjoy reading together and discussing. Mm -hmm.
0: Now, when this comes out in December, it's too late for people to have enjoyed this feast, but it's going to come again next year,
2: right? We are certainly planning to do it again next year. We also, in the spring, we will have a meeting that is also open to the public. Um, We, at Park Road Books, it'll probably be in March. This year, but we do our spring meet the authors um, evening event, and um, in that case, we usually have three or four authors and um, they come and talk about their books, usually, read something from the books. So that's kind of like a smaller version mm-hmm. of something that we do, but we always try to look for authors who are from around the North Carolina or the South, um, authors who um, you know have connections to, to the area.
0: Right, well, Susan, I know you got things to do still, and the cocktail party's getting started. So thanks for taking the time to sit down, and uh, this is, uh, is going to be a great event tonight. Oh,
1: you're yeah. very welcome. Yeah,
3: thanks. Thank you.
1: Host Landis Wade is committed to making this podcast worth your time. He's a recovering trial lawyer, award-winning author, book and dog lover, whose laid-back style encourages authors to read and talk about their published and emerging works. These are the stories that touch the emotions, followed by conversations that offer depth and insight into the readings and writing lives of the authors.
0: You can find links and information about this episode in the show notes at our website, charlottereaderspodcast.com. But enough with the prologue. Let's get to the stories. I'm your host, Landis Wade. Thank you for listening. Hey, listeners, I'm here at uh, BiblioFeast with Jim Hamilton. Jim, how are you doing? doing great thanks you came all the way down from uh, the boone area
4: came down from the high country
0: yeah the high country what what's the what are the leaves doing now
4: they are hitting peak right Uh, now and we're
0: we're in october when we're recording so by december when we release this it'll be what
4: oh it'll be bare. there won't be anything (laughs) left to see Ho- hopefully there'll be snow on the ground up there by then
0: now you're an author but you're also the county extension director in Watauga County right? yes sir sure sure well, am what are you extending
4: so I <laughs> so extend. we're the we're the outreach arm of, of NC State University there's there's an extension office actually in every county and I've been with a uh, cooperative extension for about uh, going on oh, 13 years um, but my background's forestry. I'm yeah, a, I was going to ask you.
0: And you sure. were in the Peace Corps, forestry. You're an environmental consultant, uh, country music DJ. Right? Uh, that
4: was a long time ago. Yeah, uh, yes, but that was. Uh, I've, I've worn many hats. and okay. <laughs> that, that was a fun one.
0: So you're here at Biblia Feast. You're featuring your book, The Last Entry. It's. Uh, I believe you sort of describe it as, uh, you know, it's painted in the woodland tones of Western North Carolina's rural mountains, but you didn't set it in Boone, right?
4: Well, I did. You know, it, it t- technically is set right. in Boone and the surrounding areas, but I, but I consciously decided not to include any any place names to really say i wanted it because you be don't want anybody general. to say you got it wrong right? Ex- that you're exactly <laughs> right that's a great way to put it
0: <laughs> uh, i
4: guess any author is sort of terrified of, of, of getting it wrong so, but uh, well, but i think, I, I think i'm sure
0: did you it. didn't get it wrong this is this is an interesting book uh, because i don't know much about ginseng T- tell us you got a ford in the book that deals with uh ginseng and you tie it together with daniel boone now what in the world did daniel boone and ginseng have in common.
4: <laughs> so a common. So a lot of people don't realize, you know, Boone, of course, was was fat, it's it's named after Daniel Boone, the you know the explorer, the frontiersman. But you know, one of the many many wildland frontier fortunes that Daniel Boone made was was via ginseng. He would he would um, he would hire locals and Native Americans to uh, to dig the root, which is which is prized in, in Asia. I um, ginseng's a, a over a billion dollar global industry, and, and most of the most valuable roots that are sold in the shop windows of hong kong for thousands of dollars are dug right out of the mountains of north carolina so
0: i might be able to go back in my little cabin in boone and forage around and find uh, some just ginseng?
4: G- give, me, give me a call i might be able to find <laughs> uh, we might, might be able to go hunt for some
0: so i wasn't sure about ginseng so i went on you know the place you go to find out everything right google i went
4: to the google sure
0: and it said there's seven evidence-based health benefits of ginseng it talks about an antioxidant to re- reduce inflammation Benefits brain function absolutely even erectile dysfunction that's what that's what they say say. so that's that's that's, why they're hunting so that's (laughs) there
4: you know for energy it's 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 north american ginseng what you find in north carolina mountains is is the yin and the yin and yang you know traditional chinese medicine uh symbology and uh and it's it's taken widely throughout age about 95 percent of everything that's dug ends up in um, ends up in Asia and
0: uh, okay so you're so. you're a forester you're into the environment and you have this idea to write this book and it involves ginseng and I, I've you know the first chapter starts out with a grandfather mm-hmm. and his two i guess grandkids and they're yeah. out hunting roots
4: yeah right? yep it's Hunt a tradition all- every every september uh it, it's it's been a tradition going on for 300 years in, in the u.s um
0: tell us a little bit about the uh plot of the book and the arc of the story
4: okay so it's um it's it's really a coming of age story you know of, of brotherhood and loss and, and and redemption and um but it's you know it's it's set under the backdrop of of the appalachian ginseng trade um its main character Tucker Trivet, is a you know country boy from a sort of a rough upbringing and the grandfather is is really the you know the father figure for him and, and a true mountain man who teaches him the ways of the woods but he leaves the mountains and circumstances happen and he comes back um to try and and um and get a get a fresh start but things have changed and uh he's presented with some challenges and and a way to try and uh, get over some of those challenges is 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 um related to uh, uh, an old journal that his grandfather used to carry and make notations about, which might involve some secret stashes involve some secret stashes. got to some have Z. some secrets here. That's so, right.
0: So this gem of a book got started because somebody called you, they were looking to try to figure out how to plant ginseng on their property. Uh, that's if, right, that's
4: and, right. Um, and, and
0: that just sort of, and they were involved in the film industry, and that led you to think, oh, maybe I'll write a blockbuster movie about ginseng or something and they said no go write the book first it's it's funny yeah so
4: so uh, I, I met I met a, uh, a hollywood screenwriter uh, glenn, glenn bruce lives in the mountains and there's a lot of you know there's a lot of talented um, writers that that live in the mountains and he just happened to call me about ginseng and you know when i started talking with him about what he what he used to do in hollywood and what he used to write i just kind of mentioned that there had never been any any f- film or book for that matter that really focused on on uh on ginseng as kind of a, a major plot element
0: so and why did you feel obsessed to write this book because you got to have an obsession to write a book i'm
4: pretty obsessed with the, with the plant itself okay, it's right. really to me it's it's yeah. the prettiest thing to me in, in the woods and and with the with
0: can the, you describe it, it tell us what kind of general it's
4: it. a really cryptic small you know, unnoticeable plant uh mm-hmm. when you when you discover it in, in in the woods but um you know it's 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 very symmetrical and the 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 um you, there are these little three and four leaved plants with with five leaflets. Again, very symmetrical, very beautiful in the fall when the uh, when the berries turn red. But it's really just the history and the culture of the plant that dr- drawn me, you know, back from my you know Peace Corps and forestry mm-hmm. extension mm-hmm. and outreach days. It's 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 really a way that um, that landowners can can still get value out of their land. You know, they, apart from the tradition, it's. Mm-hmm.
0: But this is a story about characters too, right? Yeah, it is yeah. about characters. Yeah.
4: There's definitely some characters, you know. Most uh, hillbilly noir mm. novels, you know, have those four M's. Mm. You know which four M's I'm talking about? You go got, ahead, go ahead. you got meth, marijuana, moonshine, and murder. And now you so got ginseng. And got then the ginseng's <laughs> thrown in there too. So, so any, you know, I, I, it, it, and there's a little bit of that in each. And, and and still the when you when you when you look at the characters and the settings of most uh, novels set in Appalachia, there those, those characters. But it's the backdrop of the mountains that really create the the environment of of stories set in the mountains.
0: So, Jim, a little bit about your writing life. You know, you, you, you've written a lot of technical (laughs) manuals over the years. I think I saw somewhere where you had to teach yourself not to be teachy, right? Because you're an instructor and you had to write. So, have to teach myself on a write, not to write like a lawyer. So, so, <laughs> oh, so, that's got to be so even tougher. That is hard. Yeah, that is hard. That's got to be hard. But so you went from this, and so how's it been? How do you how do you like the experience?
4: No, I enjoy it because the beauty of writing fiction is you know rather than research based results is if you if you want a result you can just make it up. Yeah, but it's got to
0: it's got to ring true. Though. It
4: does have to ring true. Yeah, but yeah. but it, it I I found a lot of a, a lot of freedom in it and really enjoyed it. Once I once I. Did, you know, follow, started following the co- uh, the cardinal rule of writing to show, not tell. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it it became easier and, and a lot more enjoyable.
0: Okay, well, what are you looking to show tonight at uh, Biblio Feast?
4: I'm I'm just interested in some good good conversation, good conversation. with uh, yeah. with with some good folks. Um, yeah. I uh, my the the book release. Um, well, it will be released by the time of the uh, of the podcast, but it hasn't yeah. happened yet. So I'm yeah. I'm looking forward to jumping into this whole. Uh, novelist thing, you know, feet feet first. It'll like a, be
0: ready just in time for the holidays, right? It sure will. That's it sure right. will. Well, Jim, yeah. I know you're going to have fun tonight at Biblical feast Thanks for sitting down for a few minutes and talking to Charlotte Readers Podcast.
4: Oh, thank you, Landis. Yeah. Appreciate the, sure, the opportunity. Sure thing.
5: Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to com.
0: Hey, listeners, I'm here at Biblio Feast with uh, A.J., Anna Jean Mayhew. How you doing?
5: Hi, Hi. Nice to be here.
0: Yeah, you excited about this night tonight? I am. Yeah, this is fun. Um, we are here at uh, Maggioni's. Uh, it's going to be a fun night. And we're taking a little time here to talk to the authors who are appearing tonight to kind of get a sense of uh, you know their books here in Time for the Holidays, <laughs> right? So yes. You are, but you are an originally a Charlottean. I right? am. Right, and this book you've written... Tomorrow's Bread is about Charlotte. It is. as was
3: my first novel.
0: Yeah. And this one, though, is about sort of a little bit of a darker side of our chapter here in in our history. But first, your path. You started, uh, I think— well, it says you've, got, you've taken many turns. You're a report, court reporter. Mm-hmm. You're involved uh, in opera management uh-huh. to medical writing. Correct. And you end up <laughs> as a uh, really good fiction writer. How did that work? Yeah. Well,
3: it was a uh, an interesting path. The court reporting gave me a really good feel for dialogue. Yeah. But I
0: like, I like your blog site, though. You say about yourself, that you're brilliant, secure, genteel, kind, funny, and modest. Oh, <laughs> you read my blog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, you also said you're inspired by your husband who writes as well. And, oh, I and, am. Yeah. So inspired by him. Um, so uh, you, you got really praised for your first book, The Dry Grass of August, and uh, mm-hmm. this book, Tomorrow's Bread, has been out. And it's, um, it's generating some conversations. It is. Uh, there's actually something going on in Charlotte now related to the very area that you wrote about. Absolutely. Brooklyn Village is in the works. Mm -hmm. So let's just talk about Brooklyn for a minute because I grew up in Charlotte, uh, but I was only about four or five years old when your main character got their little notice at the the beginning of the book in 1961. And the notice was we're dealing with a dilapidated, dangerous area. Blighted. Blighted. We're Mm going to have to move all y'all out. Mm-hmm. All you black people are going to move you out, right. Because we've got to, you know, change things, right? Yeah,
3: we're going to make things better for you. We're
0: going to make things better for you. And and what happens is an entire, you know, city within a city, right? Right. Is is wiped off the face of the earth? Completely
3: wiped out.
0: So is that what possessed you to write about this?
3: No, I drove back to Charlotte in 2008 to come to a high school reunion, and went through town instead of taking 77 around. And I saw all this open land. And I thought, why haven't they used it? They took it 40 years ago. So that got me to thinking and to wondering what had happened to the people.
0: Hmm. And what did happen to the people?
3: They moved all different places, a lot of them north of 85, into areas up close to Johnson C. Smith, um, 3rd Ward and 2nd Ward. For
0: those familiar with Charlotte area... um, this is kind of right where the inside Beltline I two seventy seven is and moves toward what's Correct. the Adams Mark and Marshall Park and
3: and the and, Boa Stadium and uh, oh yeah all that and City Hall and the County Jail and they did use a lot but and, they left a lot open
0: and before your story opens you've got a map right yes. there in the beginning yes. of the book which is interesting if you look at it because yeah. it doesn't look like the map today if you live no, in Charlotte not at all um, and when the story opens we meet. Laura Lee Hawkins, uh-huh. who works at the old s and cafeteria. Correct. She's walking home to save money from not getting on the bus. Right. She's got, a, I think, a grandmother and a great uncle and a uh-huh. child living with her. Mm-hmm. And she gets this notice. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that, a little bit about the plot and where this story goes. Um, in
3: 1961, as you mentioned, urban renewal became a rumor in Brooklyn. And when the bulldozers finally roll. A grandmother is forced from the home she's lived in all her life. A minister stands by helpless as his wife's coffin is exhumed. And in that Jim Crow setting, Loraley, who's who's my first of three narrators, cannot reveal the name of the father of her child because he's white. And this was before Loving versus Virginia when miscegenation was against the law.
0: And not only that, the person she's in love with runs the is her boss (laughs) her her boss boss. you got all kind of problems right yeah yeah all kind of issues but
3: they're deeply in love and they do manage to see each other but not not publicly yeah and then the third uh, the second narrator is a black minister who lives in brooklyn and the third narrator is a white woman who lives in myers park whose husband is on the planning commission
0: and this is historical fiction right you're telling you're telling the story with a lot of truths but you're telling it through these characters who absolutely how did you go about getting a better understanding of what it was like during that time period
3: my daughter discovered interviews with residents of brooklyn that were archived at unc charlotte sounded like you discovered a treasure oh it was amazing (laughs) i got to hear their voices i got to hear their dialogue and um that just was such a treasure
0: that's great yeah Now, fiction is often a search for something. What
3: were your characters searching for in your book? Home, Mm. to keep home. Mm -hmm. The quote at the end of the book is by Langston Hughes in which he said, Misery is when you heard on the radio that your neighborhood was a slum, Mm. and you always thought it was home. Mm. So it's a search for grounding, for roots, for home, to keep that home.
0: That's great. Uh, a little bit about your writing life. Can't do a full segment tonight, but uh, you know, you went from these other careers to writing. Right. Uh, what did you have to unlearn to become a historical
3: fiction writer? Oh, my goodness. What did I have to unlearn? <laughs> that the facts are almost irrelevant. I mean, you've got to <laughs> stick to history if you're writing a book like this. But, yeah. but to get into character, that's right. what I had to unlearn was right. that... I didn't have to be driven. You're not writing a thesis. No, right, not writing right. a thesis. It's yeah. a great way to put it. Yeah, yeah. And I had to trust my characters. Yeah, and what did you learn
0: about yourself in writing this particular book? Anything?
3: Yes. When I moved away from Charlotte in 1945, I, le- I mean in 1985 at the age of 45, I learned that I, didn't, I couldn't leave Charlotte. All I wanted to write about was Charlotte, and I needed some distance mm-hmm. to get away from it. And I'm still driven to do that. I'm working on a third book that's also set in Charlotte.
0: Oh, great. So uh, besides being engaged by this read, what do you hope that readers take away from your
3: book? That we can do things to make things better. There's a wonderful book called A Hundred Story Home by yeah. Kathy, Kathy Eichert. Kathy was uh, on the on the podcast. Oh, so. was she? Yeah, yeah. Tell her if you see yeah, her again. Yeah. I loved her book. <laughs> yeah, And she is an amazing woman and look yeah. at what she accomplished yeah,
0: absolutely. so we
3: can do things you know
0: so what are you looking forward to about biblio feast tonight
3: oh, oh seeing seeing readers i yeah. love to be with readers yeah. but yeah. also to talk with other writers i always enjoy that yeah. and the trio program was not mentioned in my bio but oh. i'm part of that mm-hmm. and i got a wonderful song and a beautiful piece of art that was set in brooklyn the old oh. brooklyn that's
0: great yeah Well, A.J., uh, great book. Thank you for spending a little time with Charlotte Readers Podcast. Thank you, Landis. This has been great.
1: Thanks. Charlotte Readers Podcast and host Landis Wade are grateful to you for listening to this show. If you like the show, please leave a short written review on Apple Podcasts, also known as iTunes, or the podcast platform of your choice. Because your review helps authors share their stories with more listeners. Thank you for your support.
0: Hey, listeners, I'm here at Bibliofeast uh, with author Belle Boggs. Uh, Belle, how you doing? Great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so glad to have you here. So you're the author of The Gulf, a novel, um, and The Art of Waiting, and uh, I can't pronounce this, Pony Queen? Mattaponi Queen. There you go. Okay, good, good. But your stories have appeared in The Atlantic Monthly, Orion, The Parish Review, Harper's Ecotone, Plowshares, and lots of other places. You actually teach, right? I do. I and, teach
6: at NC State.
0: That's great. So you're teaching writing and you're writing writing.
6: That's right. Okay. I was reading some some <laughs> student uh, <laughs> chapters before I came in here.
0: Oh, good. And just, uh, But you're not too hard on them, are you?
6: No. Yeah. It's, we have a pretty encouraging workshop.
0: Well, congratulations on all the uh, positive reviews and press uh, for your book. It was a uh, Siva Okra pick, right? Yes. Yes, yes. And uh, I think... Uh, you know, one of Entertainment Weekly's 20 Great New Books to Read in April of 2019. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. So how does that make you feel? Oh,
6: yeah. great. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. always nice to um, see uh, your book, you know, reach its readers and yeah. um, have had good feedback from people who enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so, um, so, yeah, it's been a lot of fun.
0: So you, um, you're writing about a character who is trying to be a writer. yes. Yeah. And she, she's gone through the whole school thing, and she's got her degree, and she's doing her poetry thing, right? And and something ha- she's in New York, and she gets her notice, she's going to be evicted, and I guess as her ex-fiance comes with this great idea, let's start a writing ranch for Christian evangelicals in Florida.
6: Yes. Right. Yes. He has, uh, so she's, uh, it's, um, her name is Marianne. She's yeah. a struggling poet and, um, has no, um, ambition to make money from her poetry, but just wants to support herself. And she's barely getting by in New York. Um, she has a lot of student loans that she hasn't made a dent in and, um, she gets evicted. And, um, at the same time her ex fiance approaches her with, um, a deal that she can't say no to, but knows she should say no no to, which is um, uh, basically going through with something that she always joked about, which was um, starting a low-residency MFA program for evangelical Christians. Um, He happens to have access, through his great-aunt, to a uh, decrepit old beachside motel on the Gulf Coast of Florida, and um, so the Genesis Inspirational Writing Ranch is born.
0: I like (laughs) like that title. Um, <clears throat> but, but even her father says, you know, Marion, that didn't sound like you, right? Right. To be doing this because when she was growing up, you know, maybe there was some religion in her family, but she was leaning more toward the atheist... So, she is an atheist, okay, so she, is, she atheist. is not
6: the person to be to do this. But she thinks this. So the book takes place in 2011, uh-huh. and um, and she thinks she's got a lot of you know uh, anxiety, financial, social, cultural, and she feels when she whenever she goes back home. She did grow up in a pretty conservative place. She feels a little. Um, hemmed in and concerned about the direction that she sees the more conservative people going. And so she thinks, I can do this, and I can uh, take advantage of these people with no, um, no uh, regrets.
0: Well, but, but, it, but she starts out, because she is about sort of a poster child for the far left, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then, but then she finds out that all the applications that are coming in are from what you call climate change deniers, Racists and gun nuts and abortion foes and big tobacco Republican support. So you've got all these people applying to this school, and she's got to make this sort of Hobson's choice, right? Do I take the money, right, or do I put the people through a school and affirm them as great writers? Yeah.
6: Well, I mean, so some of the some of the uh, the applications are from you know those people that you describe, and then but because she's a writer, she's reading around and oh, she sees right.
0: she finds a couple of. She maybe, finds some yeah, gems. Yeah. She finds
6: a um, an R&B star who um, is uh, work at working on um, an autobiographical novel. Mm-hmm. Um, she finds a woman um, that she's really intrigued by who's writing a series of poems from the perspective of the late Terry Shivo. And she thinks, even though this woman has not been through um, Poetry Workshop the way that Marianne has spent her life, um, she thinks, okay, I see something here. And so she winds up putting together a workshop that is actually pretty interesting. And so, of course, she finds herself um, in more of a dilemma mm-hmm. as um, the school attracts some shady investors um, because it's expensive to run a school. And right. also as um, as she feels a lot of, um, of responsibility toward her students who are in this program that's, um, that's not accredited. Mm. that's for profit.
0: Yeah, and, and so, you know, you teach and you're, you're teaching students in college and grad yep. programs and stuff. But there are all these programs out there that we can go spend our money on to become better writers. And is this sort of a, is something happen that made you think, I need to write about this because some of these schools are probably not, everything they're advertising themselves? To yeah,
6: do. I mean, I, you know, I, 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 teach actually direct an MFA program at NC State mm-hmm. and, um, we have a wonderful program and we're fully, fun- our students are fully funded and, um, you know, I feel very proud of that, but there are a lot of programs where you're going to wind up in a lot of debt and they're, um, uh, I don't think there is a program like the Genesis Inspirational Writing <laughs> Ranch, but with the rise of for-profit education, right. it wouldn't surprise me if there were.
0: So what, uh, I think I asked this question to someone earlier, in, in fiction, a lot of times the characters are searching for something. What's Marianne searching for? can you give us a little hint as to her arc in the story?
6: Sure. Um, so she is um, searching for her voice as a writer, but I think she's also—one um, she's uh, one of the undercurrents of the, the story is the grief that she has um, that is um, unresolved um, about the loss of her mother and the disconnection that she has with her sister, who is a woman of faith and is very— um, um, very involved in the church, she's a pastor's wife now, and is much younger than Marianne. And so, I think that divide in her family, healing that rift, mm-hmm. is is um, is you know where her motivation takes her. And the the story is is very much about the. Um, relationship between um, the friendship that develops between Marianne and another woman named Janine, who has the other, um, well, there are four points of view in the book, but she is Mm -hmm. the other um, uh, largest point of view section of the book. And um, so that kind of uh, uh, connection across the divide that is um, between the two of them, um, is where her arc is headed in the Good. book.
0: Well, it's very clever. It's very well written. I was Thank laughing you. when I was re- reading through it here a couple of times. That uh, it just sort of the conundrum she was getting herself into. Um, but uh, so, besides being engaged with the story, what are you hoping that readers <laughs> take away from your book?
6: Well, I, you know, I hope that they. Um, I hope, you know, I think it's a great beach read. I think mm-hmm. it's a good vacation read. Um, it's, you know, it's a book that's about politics and money and art. Um, but um, but it's also a comic novel. So I hope, I want people to... Um, to enjoy it, to experience the all the many weather, um, Mm -hmm. things that happen in Florida in the book. Um, and, um, you know, to come away with, um, feeling like they've been, you know, on a little vacation to, a um, you know, kind of decrepit motel on the (laughs) Gulf side of, uh, Florida. If
0: you really want to write, we've got a place for you to go. Yeah. All right. So just one quick writing life question. Uh, I can't do it all, but, uh, You've been teaching now. You've been writing several novels. What would you tell your younger writing self something you've learned since that might help your younger writing self if she'd known it at the time?
6: Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, You know, I think um, what I have realized, um, you know, as I've uh, had to take some time away from writing for a long time, I was a K-12 teacher, and I would have to spend, um, you know, whole semesters, um, whole school years, really just kind of gathering up ideas and then writing, writing, writing in the summer. And I think that sense of patience and just enjoyment that I have now that when I'm thinking of a story or planning in the next nonfiction book of just brainstorming and enjoyment and enjoying the process and not putting so much pressure on yourself um, is is one that I remember. And what I tell my students all the time is just read all the time. You, know, mm-hmm. if you should be reading novels like you've been reading that's what right. nine novels since friday so <laughs>
0: exactly. i started nine novels since friday. <laughs> yeah that's but, i
6: don't know I mean, if i recommend that but not, not, no, but that, thank you for doing it
0: exactly well look bibliophace is going to be fun tonight too so have fun thanks a lot for joining us thank you so much sure Hey, listeners, I'm here with Sally at Park Road Books, and we're uh, talking books of the season. Sally, you got a couple of picks for us?
5: I do. I have a great book from um, Blair Press, which is a North Carolina publisher. It's a great debut novel called Holding On to Nothing by Elizabeth Childs Shelburne. Um, The the cover is beautiful, and the book is even more beautiful inside.
0: It looks looks uh, very—well, there's some mountains in the background. So where's this set?
5: This is set in eastern Tennessee. Um, the main character is Lucy. Her parents have died when um, she was a young girl. She's being raised by her mother's best friend and the church. Um, it's her goal to get out of this small town and get to the big city of Knoxville, Tennessee. She's working three jobs to make that happen.
0: And Ron Rash calls it a gem.
5: He does. And Lee Smith loved it. She said it's the book that you want to read. Um, you know, Contemporary themes of no work, drinking, sex, music. Community. <laughs> okay. um, it has everything in it, and I guarantee it'll make you cry.
0: All right, now let's go to the next book that has an ass on the front. I'm sorry, a donkey <laughs> on the front of it. What, what is this book?
5: Don't you forget that. This is a great book called Running with Sherman, The Donkey with the Heart of a Hero. Christopher McDougal, This is a nonfiction book. Uh, Christopher McDougall is the best-selling author of Born to Run, which is all about him running. And as you can tell, I am not a runner. Mm. Um, is that
0: donkey a runner? That
5: mm. is a yes, and that's the the heart of the story. Sherman is a rescue donkey. The poor donkey um, was in a farm with an animal hoarder. So he did not get the care or attention he needed. His uh, hoofs were overgrown. His fur was matted. And um, four-legged animals such as donkeys, horses, cows have to move in order to digest their food. So he was really um, in, in serious illness when Christopher McDougall took him in and what happens is he discovers and remembers that there's a burro running race where you run 26 miles with a burro, and the burro has a pack on it of course not the human and the burro runs alongside the human so this is about him training the donkey Sherman to run in this race with him and of course it's it's set in Pennsylvania so you have Amish farmers helping them you have female truck drivers helping them and it's just it's heartwarming and wonderful I just I I can't tell you how much I love Must this book. Must
0: have been book. a long race. It's a thick book.
5: Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a lot to it because Sherman has to get to better health before he can run.
0: Gotcha. Okay, so we got the end, end of the year coming. So, where can you find good books in Charlotte to buy?
5: Park Road Books, of Park course. Park Books, of
0: course. All right. Thanks, Sally. Anytime. Hey,
5: listeners, I'm here at
0: Biblio Feast with author Carla Holloway. Carla, how are you doing? I'm
7: doing really great. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks so much for coming and uh, oh, my pleasure. being Absolutely. on the show
0: and doing Biblio Feast and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, you've written this great book here, uh, A Death in Harlem. But before we talk about the mystery that's the okay. death in Harlem, a little bit about you. You teach uh, at uh,
7: that's, uh, English. That's, right? Let's do that past tense. I am that's, now emerita. Oh, <laughs> yeah. and you're very proud of that. Right? You know, I'm just thrilled because <laughs> yeah. now I'm a novelist. That's but awesome. I taught law and literature okay. at Duke. Uh, law and
0: literature. Do mm-hmm. those actually go together? I mean, I, well, guess I was a law lawyer. They did in my class, they but did. I
7: i did take um, yeah. a law degree um, late in life. I was okay. 55. Pull that to you just a little bit there. I you thought know. that would be the oldest thing I did. Yeah. Yeah. didn't know I'd write a novel at 70. <laughs> you,
0: know. you know what? But that's great. You know, <laughs> It's never too late,
7: right? But this is what I'm discovering. It's Who never. knows what 80 will be like? But you're the author of eight books, but you're... But you're saying is this your first mystery? This is my first not my first fiction, my yeah. debut fiction or, at age mean, seventy. But
0: you got some very positive reviews. I mean it says a uh, book list says Holloway's gifted storytelling makes her and Weldon Thomas, a pair worth
7: watching. <laughs> it just feels terrific. <laughs> does feel good hear that kind does, of It does, absolutely. Uh, and
0: I like Weldon. I, I get, as I said, I couldn't read the whole book because I mm-hmm. just got it Friday, but I've started into it. And, and It the begins first, with Weldon. It begins with Weldon. Uh, tell us a little bit about Weldon.
7: Well, first of all, he's the first colored policeman in Harlem because we are talking a book set in the Harlem Renaissance in the 19-teens and 20s. Um, and Weldon is the policeman who is also someone who is struggling with how to be a first, something that a lot of black folk later on in life find. Mm -hmm. And how to navigate
0: this white world that he's now supposed to be policing. How to navigate that
7: one, and then how to navigate the black world that he's supposed to be policing. That's right, because he's
0: he's now... part of the That's right, that's right. You know, so
7: how do you represent the race when you have to arrest the race? But he's the one who ends up being at the banquet where someone goes out a window and he has to find out is it an accident? Um, was she pushed? Was she accidentally pushed? Did she jump?
0: Yeah, yeah I, like, I love the first. Of course, you know you got to have a body on page one, right, mm-hmm. for, for a good mission. This is what they tell me, so I did. <laughs> but the first line of the book it says, "In late midwinter of 1927, when that lady they thought was white jumped, fell, or got pushed out the window of the Hotel Teresa." first colored policeman was assigned to night watch.
7: There's a story. <laughs> you know? And uh, they thought was colored is a yeah. really significant and, uh, part of right, the story. Uh,
0: the, the, the use of that language to describe African-Americans at the time. Right. Well, uh, not necessarily
7: at the time. Uh, just, you know, yeah. African-Americans who have um, blended family backgrounds mm. like Barack Obama, mm. you know, so. But whose visible appearance could be white or black can't tell the difference, then what do we do if we look at you and don't quite know what race you are?
0: So I was reading up on the book a little bit, and uh, there's a little bit of truth buried in the book, perhaps. Or? Oh,
7: I think yeah. so. I think more yeah. than a little. Tell what us, did you tell, discover? T- well,
0: tell us about that. Tell, tell our listeners about sort of the history of the story
7: here. Well, part of the truth is, and, and I've taken to calling it "Downton Abbey meets um, Harlem." Oh, ah, so okay. <laughs> This is this is when mm-hmm. there was a Caddie class, a class of of extra high income wealthy. Um, very light-skinned black folks who um, didn't live in white areas, but lived in an area of Harlem called Sugar Hill or Hamilton Heights, sometimes it's called. And this wealthy class of black folks had to protect not only their exclusiveness, but what it meant to be a class of people who were both Educated and moneyed and privileged Mm -hmm. in a world where they were right up next to the Harlem that was not educated, that was certainly not money and was certainly not privileged. Um, So their lives were in a lot of ways enabled by the folks who worked for them, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the servants, the housekeepers, the child caretakers, so the maids, they're all in this story too. But because my own background was pretty much in that upper class of sororities and fraternities and selective social groups. I knew these people, Mm. and I wanted to bring them to life in the ways that I remember the rules of who gets to be in and who gets to be out, and how we select a suitable um, spouse Sure. For our children was sure. a part of our growing up. So that's within those buried truths, not so buried.
0: Well, we see, you know, right at the beginning of the story, that uh, Weldon's got his hands full because in the very last line of the first chapter, something has gone terribly wrong. Right, right. right. And so, um, what was it that kind of? I mean, because every author who takes on a book has to kind of be a little bit obsessed or attached to their story. Mm -hmm. What kind of interested you in this story enough to write an entire novel?
7: Oh, my goodness. This story actually begins with an author from 1929, Nella Larson, who wrote a book called Passing, which is this phenomenon of sometimes you could be white, sometimes you could be black, depending on your skin tone and the texture of your hair. Nella Larson's story, Passing, ends with a very light-skinned woman falling from a window, a policeman walking by, calling it, hmm, looks like a death by misadventure. I've taught that novel over and over (laughs) through the many years of my teaching, and... My students always ask, so what happened next? <laughs> so here I am, liberated into, um, into the emerita stage, and I decided to figure out what happened next.
0: That's awesome. So um, a little bit since you had this uh, you know, career in teaching law and literature... Uh, what did you have to unteach yourself to be able to write a mystery novel?
7: Oh, it, I had to learn to be free. Yeah, you know, um, yeah. so of course I had to look up, so when was the first gaslight in, yeah, in yeah. Harlem, and what were the cars like? Um, so that was the kind of research. But realizing that I didn't have to go from point A necessarily to point B to C, I could just say that happened offstage, as mm. the Greeks did. Mm. That was a certain freedom. Imagining Weldon is a character who also experiences premonitions. I don't think that would have worked very well in any legal environment (laughs) I was in. Well, Judge, he was having a premonition right out of the courtroom, but Weldon has premonitions, and I wanted him to be a policeman with premonitions. He's a reader, Uh so the Harlem Branch Library is really important to the story.
0: So this could be historical... Fiction to some extent, but, but there's a mystery. Are you going to there's write another mystery. mystery or are you going to stay with it? You going to no, a different genre? Or you...
7: I think I'm going to stick with Weldon. Oh, great. Um, because yeah. of that review that you read that That's you right. said we made a good pair. Good so pair. Weldon together. and I are going to stick together and go and find out what happened to that baby that went missing in Harlem ah, when that, the Lindbergh yeah. baby went missing.
0: That's a great idea. So, okay, so besides being engaged in this uh, interesting, mysterious story, what do you hope readers will take away, sort of the underlying theme, some of the things you're speaking oh, to here?
7: What I really hope they they take away is the idea of a very complex black society, um, questions about this upper-class black society that we don't hear much about, about those who have access to the highest echelons of our class consciousness and what it's like to try to maintain that the clothes they wore, the jewelry they borrowed or kept, um, how they kept family secrets from destroying their lives, um, how we interacted with those less fortunate than us. So I wanted this complication of black life to be in folks' minds. And I wanted people to think about, oh, Harlem isn't just about that's where the black people live. But what happens when one of them is a policeman and has to both arrest a brother and have drinks with them the next night. Shoot, this might be a Netflix series. <laughs> <laughs> From well, your mouths to Netflix's they, they, ears. <laughs> yeah,
0: all right. Well, look, thanks so much for uh, being here and t-
1: participating on Charlotte podcast. Thank you
7: kindly. Have fun at Bibliophysia. I think it's going to be a delight. All right, all right thank you. Thanks.
1: Christmas is coming, and host Landis Wade has a trilogy of books to get you in the Christmas spirit. He wrote the first in the series, The Christmas Heist, as a Christmas gift for his family which the former dean of Wake Forest Law School called a cross between My Cousin Vinny and Miracle on 34th Street. In his second book, The Legally Binding Christmas, the characters return to save Christmas once again. The final book in the trilogy, The Christmas Redemption, won the 2018 holiday category of the 12th Annual National Indie Excellence Awards and was the 2018 holiday category honorable mention in the 10th Annual Reader's Favorite Awards. One reviewer said, believing without seeing is a powerful idea and it's at the heart of the Christmas Redemption. These books are available at Park Road Books, Main Street Books, foggy pine books, and online. And when you sign up for the email list at charlottereaderspodcast.com, you'll receive for free the first book in this series as an e-book, complete with illustrations.
0: Hey, listeners, I'm here at uh, BiblioFeast with author Bruce Holsinger. Bruce, how you doing?
8: Great, just great.
0: And how was the drive down from Charlottesville?
8: It was a little long, a little oh, traffic yeah. but it was fine.
0: Yeah. You are a fiction writer, but you're also a... Uh, they say a literary scholar based in Charlottesville. You've been teaching, right?
8: Yep, I teach at the University of Virginia.
0: Yeah. Uh, how long? I've that?
8: been there for 15 years, and before that I was at a University of Colorado in Boulder.
0: Well, you've been writing a lot. You've written essays and reviews that have appeared in the New York Times, the New York Review of Books, Washington Post, Slate, and many other publications. You've been featured on NPR, right? Yeah, that's right. So how does it feel to finally be on Charlotte Readers Podcast? Hey,
8: I've been waiting for this all my life. So. <laughs> exactly. No, but I'm really thrilled to be talking to you.
0: Yeah, thanks. So this this book you've got, um, The Gifted School. By the way, congratulations on all the good press. Thank you. Thank book. you. It's been uh, crazy. Yeah. George Will wrote an op-ed piece about yeah, it. Right? He did. He, he did. Called it, he called it A Parable of Privilege Hoarding. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Is that a term that you
8: it's not, I didn't coin the term, but okay. I did use it in the book, you know, privilege hoarding, the idea of you know, parents um kind of accruing as much privilege to themselves, to their kids as they can.
0: Mm. And of course some parents who are celebrities have gotten in trouble. Absolutely doing that recently. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did your idea come first?
8: No, my idea came first. Yeah, I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I thought of this they book. They should
0: have read the proof, right? Yeah, before exactly. They, they exactly. Got in
8: well, that's crazy. You know, the um, the advance copy of the book was uh, circulating when the college admission scandal broke back in in March, I guess it was, of this year. And my uh, father-in-law called me and said, oh my God, this is the sequel to The Gifted School. Because my novel's about, you'd call it an admission scandal around a public magnet school for for gifted kids in a Colorado town. Um, So that's uh, one of the reasons I think it got um, all the hype it did when, when the admission scandal broke is because it was treating similar things.
0: Yeah. Well, the Wall Street Journal said it was the summer read that predicted the college admission scandal.
8: Yeah, I couldn't have written that headline myself. <laughs>
0: that's, <so>. that's great. <laughs> well, let's do a bit of, uh, about the plot of the book. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I had eight books show up on my desk on Friday, so I had, sure. hadn't completely finished your book yet, yeah, but, yeah. I, but I did get a start. And book the book opens with question 15 and you sense that there's a room with some proctors there yeah a a young girl is working on a problem she can't quite get it suddenly she gets it but she drops her pencil it rolls under the table and the proctor's there and won't let her put Bubble in. Yeah. And the parents are waiting on the other side. That's right.
8: So that, that mm-hmm. scene is extracted from the middle of the book. Um, and I wrote it in kind of a, a present tense that's that I I tried to make pretty suspenseful. You know, the idea we've yeah. all been in those rooms where you yeah. have to fill out a bubble sheet. Like
0: a, a law school exam, I took. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the, like yeah, the LSAT test, or whatever yeah, it is.
8: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know, you're worried about the time. You're i mean, my, my palms are sweating just thinking about it. And I wanted to put us in ahead of that girl, the mm-hmm. the kid, one of the kids who's being pressured mm-hmm. by the parents taking this iq test which is the first cut for this school and the girl taking the test her name is emma um quinn or no emma zeller she's one of two emmas in the book Mm -hmm. and um the she's the, the daughter of of one of the moms of these families. But she's that being we,
0: pushed to be academically successful, exactly, right? And exactly. So and this idea—Are you a parent? That have you gone through this? Or have you oh, asked? not
8: not through exactly this, but okay. I've observed it from afar, okay. and I've yeah. um, I've even participated in some limited limited ways. <laughs> I hope.
0: Well, um. you plead guilty to some of that. Oh, for, absolutely, if, absolutely. Because okay, yeah. everybody wants their children to do well yeah right? yeah it's and, you just know, a question of when you push it too far
8: exactly exactly and and the kind of pressure that we exert on our kids and and what it does to them and what it does to their friendships what it does to our friendships mm-hmm. you know to with um with people who have kids of similar age you know there's just no matter um how close you are to your to your friends to your spouses to your your cousins or whatever there's always just going to be some level of you know unspoken competition so this the idea of this novel was to you know, throw this gifted school into the middle of this community, so like, a, like a grenade in mm-hmm. some ways. That was something that would explode and really make them mm-hmm. react in, in different ways.
0: And you start out by introducing us to four women who come from all different, well, they're in all different careers. Yeah. One stay-at-home mom, one's sort of a hard charger. Some are married, some are coming off divorces. Yeah, some are d- widowed, yeah. yeah. But they're all, this sort of theme percolates in the early stages of the book, yeah. about what are your children doing and exactly, where are they with their exactly, studies? Exactly, exactly, yeah. And, so-and-so's test and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So you've got this group that seemingly uh, they like each other. Mm-hmm. And I assume that this is going to spin out of control a little bit. Yeah.
8: So they, they you know, <laughs> they've known each other. They met each other in a baby swim class, you know, <laughs> 10, or, 10 or 11 years ago when the okay. kids were, you know, three, four months old. Right. And that's when they met. And so they, they met when their kids were very, very young. And they've just been through a lot of things together over the last decade and the idea is that you know this will really put their friendships and and to some extent their marriages to a test
0: mm. so a lot of times, characters well, if characters don't change. You, you don't really have much of a novel, right? So these characters are changing throughout the yeah. book. Do they change for the better, for the worse, Some Well,
8: that's that that remains to be seen. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I they, they definitely change. They definitely the the main ones that I follow all come you know face to face in some way with with, with a reckoning, mm-hmm. um, and the 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 idea is not to not to resolve it necessarily, mm-hmm. but to open some questions so that readers can can think about their own choices. You know, one of my goals in the novel is really to kind of hold up that ethical mirror to parents and and help us think about what we're doing. And I hope that the, the characters in the book get to a point where they're doing that themselves.
0: Mm. So... You teach? uh, Do you teach writing, or you teach? I teach some writing workshops. I'm
8: not. I I teach mostly uh, literature, literary history.
0: Okay. What about your process to write a book like this? It's pretty thick. I'm holding it up. We got some (laughs) pound. We got some poundage here. So, uh, do you do the research first? Do you come back? No, I'm. I'm a really an outliner. No, God, no, no. I'm such
8: a disorganized writer. So I'll. You know, I'll I'll start doing a little research, then I'll start to write, then I'll make things up and realize I need to come back and check them later. And so my research is very haphazard. And so is my writing. I'll write, I never sit down and write a chapter from beginning to end, let alone a book. I'll always be writing in clusters of three or four chapters at a time. Um, But that's just how my mind works. And I think that's how, you know, the book just kind of slowly, it's like real life. You know, we don't don't live it necessarily in a linear way, or we certainly don't within our communities. So Mm. I like to, to... you know get get a lot of different storylines going at the same time
0: so you're at Bibliofeast. What are you looking forward to tonight? I'm really, you
8: know, I, I really like to meet new readers, and mm-hmm. and um, the, one of my favorite things is to get a reader interested in my book, mm-hmm. and and start a conversation because I do think the gifted school it's a conversation starter given right. the topic, right. and so I hope it'll spark some fun conversations tonight. It's always it's always fun to meet parents who will admit to pressuring their children <laughs> in different ways and <laughs> feel a little sheepish about it. So that's so always. Are we
0: going to have a sequel on little league baseball or something? <laughs> Well, fun, you know,
8: strangely <laughs> enough, there are there is a really intense soccer dad in
0: here. I saw, there and day.
8: I am a recovering, really Reco- intense re- recovering, soccer dad. So, okay. yes, yeah, so I don't think there will be a sequel, but but there will certainly be some uh, follow-up reflections. Uh,
0: so. Well, Bruce, thanks so much for sitting down with Charlotte Readers Podcast and talking with us. And Absolutely. So, it was a pleasure. Yeah, have fun tonight. I will. Thank thanks.
8: you.
1: You can listen to Charlotte Readers Podcast episodes for free at charlottereaderspodcast.com com or at Charlotte Mecklenburg Library's Digital Branch website. And you can subscribe and listen for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to get your podcasts.
0: Hey listeners, I'm here at BiblioFeast uh, with author John Seely. John, how you doing, man? Good, yeah. thank you for having me, hello. Yeah, you're welcome, and uh, you're a South Carolina native but you live in Richmond now, is that right? Yes, I do, yeah. yeah and uh, you had to come down I-85 to get here, right? <laughs> I did, <laughs> yeah, it's a, uh, it's a big haul. Now you've had pu- stories published in a lot of different magazines and literary journals, including the South Carolina Review, the Normal School Pank, and the Sun. And but now you got this book, *The Edge of America*. And congratulations! It's a Seba Okra pick. Yeah, ah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's so a real that's a real honor. Yeah, you've got a lot going on in this book right off the bat, right? Sure. Yeah,
9: yeah. I mean the the. General premise of it is set in Miami in the uh, mid '80s. It's not
0: Miami Vice, but it could be right. No, no, it's
9: (laughs) but it's it's very much along that along those lines where um, it's a uh, uh, a guy with business. uh, He's a businessman with CIA ties, and he gets involved in this scheme to launder drug money uh, and he's trying to use it to uh, foment a revolution among Cuban exiles in in Miami and um, it's kind of Oliver North-ish I mean it's sort of like the Iran-Contra scandal and things go south when his daughter steals uh, three million dollars out of a safe in his house and everybody's looking for him to pay up and he doesn't have this money.
0: Yeah so you put us in this sort of world that uh, you know if you live in you know South Charlotte I'm not used to you know, seeing this except on Netflix or whatever. Sure, right? sure. Right? So you start off with this guy, and you're trying to figure out, well, what does he really do? He's an accountant. Mm-hmm, he works for mm-hmm. this company. as kind of a front. And then mm-hmm. he reveals that he's part of the CIA, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the, his, the problem with him is that he's he really wanted to be down in Miami because he wanted to do something about Cuba. Correct. And yet Cuba, the, the administration is not really that much interested. R-
9: right, right. So, I mean, uh, this guy is... Uh, you know, is about forty in the uh, 1984. So right. he was uh, of the generation came up, uh, came mm-hmm. of age uh, in the early 60s when uh, Cuba was the, you know, big deal. Cuban Missile Crisis. He was like 17 or so, and um, uh, you know, kind of got into uh, intelligence with mm-hmm. this sort of ambition of, you know, right. doing something about that. Right. And if you read about the, the real history of the CIA. There's a whole. Um, String of sort of failed attempts to out Castro, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you know, failed assassination attempts that are kind of comical when you read about them in um, in hindsight. But you know, by the 80s, it's sort of a uh, kind of a contained space. And I mean, in, in in real life, they did have plenty of CIA presence there, but a lot of it was more propaganda-driven. So you had like, things like Radio Marti sending, um, yeah, you know, propaganda signals to Cuba, but they weren't really. It wasn't. Yeah. It was not really as a, uh, a, 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 a as much of a focal point.
0: But now he, he is at a point in his career where he wants to make the money, and he's not seeing any real progress with the CIA, and this guy walks in with millions of dollars in a briefcase sure, or something, sure. and yep. he says, more to come. That's right. And he knows where it's coming from. That's it's, right. It's the drug trade, and he's going to get in bed with this group, and sure. only bad things can happen, right?
9: That's right. That's right. <laughs> I kind of think of it as a Faustian bargain, right? He's, <laughs> he's, he's got this ambition that his, uh, his reach exceeds his grasp, so to speak, and he... Um, you know, gets in bed with the wrong guy. Um, which I think is, a. um, you know, I, I was thinking about in my day job, I do a lot of corporate communications type work. And so I'm around business people all the time. And, um,
0: I thought know. you were going to say in your day job, you work for, for, for the CIA. Uh, or something. Oh, no, so, no. so where do you get your knowledge of, uh, the inner workings of, uh, the, these spy agencies? Um,
9: well, it's like, it's a combination of some, just some research and then talking to people and mm-hmm. you know um but uh what i was more interested in was sort of this idea of a of a, of a person kind of gradually crossing a line that they right. um uh, you know it sort of compromises that happen and and, and, and and you know as you as you get older you just start like kind of crossing one line and then you cross another and then you cross another and yeah. so this guy's just kind of in a spot where he uh crosses the wrong line and bad things happening.
0: And it's got a raw edge to it, right? I mean, so he's he's really putting himself out there. Um, Have you written other edgy pieces like this before or is this kind of your...
9: Well, uh, my first novel was called The Whiskey Baron and it was set in the 30s in South Carolina. Okay. Um, And it was a, a, a... it was about a bootlegger's crumbling whiskey empire so it was actually a very similar structure. Okay.
0: so we went we've gone from alcohol to drugs now, that's right, right
9: that's right and uh, I started both of them around the same time in 2008 yeah. when the yeah. economy collapsed I had just gotten out of graduate school and I yeah. uh, was uh, adjunct teaching yeah. and um, selling TVs at Circuit City to try to you know supplement my adjunct money. Yeah. That's
0: what all authors do that's right, right that's right it's <laughs> it's a glamorous
9: life but in around the same. Month, uh, my bank Wachovia failed, uh-huh. and then uh, the university where I was teaching got rid of its comp program, so all the adjuncts went away. So I was Man. out that job, and then Circuit City filed for bankruptcy, so I was out that job. So, well, <laughs> there,
0: look, that's how you should start your next novel. That's right. Like, this guy's really down. I was uh, out, uh, out two
9: jobs in a bank, so <clears throat>
0: yeah, just autobiography. It's it's a it's how you rise from those ashes. Right, right, right. Yeah. and
9: and I you know at the time was an English major. I mean I had been an English major and knew nothing about the economy, but it right. was <laughs> cratering around us, and I was kind of trying yeah. to find a Toehold in, in the world and started doing uh-huh. sort of twin avenues of research. One into the depression era, uh-huh. um, and then the other into the 80s when the um, I think a lot of the de- you know the depression is when we set up a huge regulatory sure. framework to try uh-huh. to stabilize things. And the 80s was when they started deregulating that to, you know, create. So uh,
0: John, writing life question for you here. Uh, why do you write?
9: That that is i don't I have no idea um i mean you know there's that old flannery o'connor quip that yeah. she does it because she's good at it um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean i you know you enjoy it's, it it's fun yeah. it's it's a nice thing to do i mean and yeah. i think after you've done it for and you've made a habit of it that it, right. it becomes sort of second nature and it's, it's it's a nice
0: anything interesting we should know about your process yeah your writing process
9: um it's just um you're making stuff up out of whole cloth so i mean it's it's kind of you know you ask, people ask about research or ask about right. where did this come from and yeah. some you're just making stuff up and that's sort of the fun of it
0: and uh, getting paid if they sell your books that's, right, right, that's yeah. right that's right
9: that's well that's the theory i don't think anybody <laughs> yeah. would say you know yeah. being a novelist is a lucrative profession
0: so what are you looking forward to at biblio feast tonight
9: um, you know, I, I, I've already—we just got here, but I've had fun just kind of mingling with the with my colleague authors right. here, and I'm yeah. just—I'm just happy to go meet new people. That's fun.
0: Well, John, what's the next book? You've done alcohol, you've done drugs. What are we getting into next? Yeah.
9: Oh, <laughs> I've got a few in the drawer. I've got a, a book about a hit and run. Um, okay. Where. Uh, um, a, a, a,
0: Somebody was drinking and doing drugs. That's right. It, that's right.
9: That's right. So it was a uh, you know hit and run killing of a bicyclist, and yeah. um, so I've got that, and I've got a, probably know, happened
0: just, in Amsterdam because I just went to Amsterdam, and there are more bicycles. Oh, that's
9: a biking town.
0: Yeah, you got to be careful. It's not the cars you need to look out for. Oh, it's yeah. the bicycles. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah.
9: yeah. Well, and the drunken tourists or stone <laughs> tourists. I mean.
0: Yeah. Well, John, look, have a great time, and I appreciate you, uh, Thank you. spending some time with Charlotte Rogers podcast.
9: Thank right. you. Thank right. you very much.
0: You're
1: welcome. For periodic updates about the show and upcoming authors, please sign up for the podcast email list at charlottereaderspodcast.com. We promise not to spam you, because Landis says that takes too much time. And if you do sign up as a thank you, Landis will give you an ebook complete with illustrations, his first in the Christmas courtroom trilogy.
0: Hey listeners, I'm here at BiblioFeast uh, with author Diane McPhail. Diane, how you doing? I'm great, thank yeah. you. So, fun times tonight. You're, an, I think, an artist, writer, and minister. Is that right? I am. How about I, and that? a therapist. And a therapist. So you can help me through this thing called podcasting. <laughs> uh, you've got an MFA, an MA, and a DMIN, right? Right, yes. Okay, and uh, you're a member of the North Carolina Writers Network, right? Yes, yeah, that's yes. That's great, great. And you've... Live up in the mountains. What
10: a great place! I live place. in the highlands yeah. at four thousand feet. That's nice. It's just next to heaven.
0: And your book that um, you're going to be featuring tonight at Biblia Feast is the Abolitionist's Daughter. Yes. Right? And by the way, congratulations on all the very positive reviews and press you've gotten on the book. Thank you. It's very good. Thank you. Uh, I think. Uh, well, I know Judy Goldman here, who everybody loves as a writer. She talks mm. about it being such an impressive book, and and uh, then you got uh, a lot of other. Uh, very nice reviews. A tender, sparkling debut that bears gentle witness to the abominations of slavery and oppression, while heralding the grace, power, and necessity of righting wrongs and choosing love. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Thank you. So you um, just let's talk a little bit about the book itself. It's set in Mississippi in 1859,
10: right? Well, 1859 to about 1866, 67. Yeah, okay, I'm
0: sorry. Covers. It starts in 1859. Mm-hmm. and yes, co- it covers does. a period of about eight years, is that right? Right. Mm-hmm. And when the book opens, um, we meet Emily Matthews. She's the daughter of a judge, right? Right. And she's begging her father uh, to do something that's not done. I mean, she, she wants him to buy another slave in his family because this slaveholder is going to break up the family. Exactly. And And the father does that,
10: but there are repercussions for the slaves. The unintended consequences of all our best intentions. Mm. He's beaten, she's raped,
0: they end up on the doorstep of of Emily and her father's house. Who, by the way, they're supposed to be abolitionists, but they own slaves, right? Yes, that's a
10: conundrum, isn't it? (laughs) It is, and is that what you're trying to explore in this book? Well... Part of it, part lots of, it. of yeah. lots. I know you of explored things. lots of things, but is that one of the? But the, the reason, that? yes, because it seems so um, n- nonsensical to say that you are an anti-slavery, slave-owning hmm. abolitionist. But the reason for that is that um, after about 1830, that's a bookmark date, just not an exact date. Um, It was very difficult to free your slaves, to free a slave, one. You had to take it before the state legislature and present the case, and the state legislature would vote on whether uh, the slave could be freed or not. And after about 1850, with all of the lead-up to the war with uh, slave states and um, free states and the compromises and conflicts, manumission or the freeing of slaves became illegal in all of the slave states Mm -hmm. so it was literally a crime to free your slaves you could not do it
0: i didn't didn't know that so there's an extra layer there to to try to keep people in human bondage Uh, yes so one of the um, comments that says this book is based on true events and rooted in family history and it upends stereotypes of the civil war south so what stereotypes does it upend?
10: Well, I think just the fact that uh, this judge was, in fact, anti-slavery mm-hmm. um, is a, a stereotype sure. in itself. And that all Southerners were pro-slavery and that all Northerners were anti-slavery. Sure. which we know that's, is not true. Th- right. That's right, yes. But it's, it is one of those stereotypes. And then, because I'm a therapist, um, in working to develop character, I really wanted to break through any kind of uh, stereotypical role of the villain, the good guys, the bad Mm -hmm. guys. This story, which is based on fact that has come down through history, really, as an oral history, had taken on the the good guys and the bad guys. and mm-hmm. um, very so how, how, did,
0: how did you get, Diane, um, attached to the story? How did it fall into your lap or your area of influence? I mean, where did it come from for you?
10: Oh, well, I grew up hearing this story because my my people uh, were from that area of Mississippi. Uh, so I, I grew up hearing these wild tales of this what would have been considered a wild west kind of town because in fact it was the frontier. The Mississippi River um, made going further west mm-hmm. that far south impossible. So you had this really wild frontier kind of culture um, with gunslinging and all that sort of thing. And um, my mother died uh, when I was only nine weeks old. And when I was in my middle adulthood I, I needed to know who she had been. Mm. And the only person who was still living who had known her her whole life was one uncle. I went to visit him and he showing me these old photographs and suddenly here's this this old newspaper article about bloody Greensboro and I stopped him and I said Greensboro, Mississippi. Greensboro, Mississippi, yes. Yes, not yes, for sure, Mississippi. And I stopped him and I said, Ralph, this story has always bothered me so much. I don't understand the motivation to this kind of violence. I don't understand how it happens. Once it has happened, as a therapist, I don't understand how people survive this kind of trauma, how these women went on uh, with life. And he looked at me and he said, Diane, you know who that young woman was? And I said, well, no. He said, that was my grandmother. Mm -hmm. That was your mother's grandmother. Wow. So So that um, had to be a story you needed to look into. Yes, I had to look into
0: it. Now, the opening scenes, you know, we talked about the slave being beaten before he was sold because the other owner didn't appreciate the judge meddling in his business. Um, Right. And the doctor gets called in. And I found it interesting because the doctor's describing what he can do or can't do to save the arm. But if he does this, which is going to cost more, he's still not sure the arm's going to be any good. So does he really want to make this kind of investment, you know, as if he's talking about whether to take his dog to the vet and get him some kind of attention. So so there was this real chattel mentality. Yes, there was. It was. Yes, there was. And then you bring in Jenny, a slave on the judge's land. And is she one of the women who's going to help tell this story? Yes,
10: she is. And she's
0: a little bit uh, spunky, right?
10: Yes, she is. She yeah. takes yeah. no prisoners. Right. And she even,
0: she even brings Emily down a notch, the, the yes, daughter of the judge, because, you know, Emily's given a hard time about not speaking correct English.
10: Yes, and I'm going to read a paragraph of that tonight. Oh, great. Okay. That's, that's where she
0: says that, you know, that she speaks a slave dialect even though she knows better because she would dishonor her people. Yes. Not to do so. Yes. Right.
10: Exactly.
0: Okay, so this book has uh, an arc. You know, these characters are searching for something.
10: You know, wh- what are they searching for? Oh, what an interesting question. The judge is looking for, he's searching for justice, real justice. Mm. Um, and Emily uh, inherits some of that through him and by him um, her husband the doctor is searching for I think he's searching for identity and I'm not sure Jenny is searching for anything maybe her freedom well yes of course her freedom mm-hmm. but she's also wise enough to know that even with freedom that that is not going that's to not solve the, oh, that's not the end, the end of the conflict. story right So,
0: a little bit about your writing life. What did you
10: learn about yourself writing this book? Ooh, another interesting (laughs) question. Um, Well, I learned that I could make myself available Mm. to the story. Mm. Um, To something that Madeline Lingle, who was my first writing teacher, talks um, about—that the story knows more than you do. And it's not really yours. It comes to you and asks to be born. Mm-hmm. And if you say yes, then your your job is to serve the work and follow it where it knows it needs to go. That's
0: great. So you're at Feast tonight. What are you looking forward to about tonight?
10: Oh, I'm looking forward to meeting all these people. Yeah. I've, I've been on this book tour now for about six months. Yeah. And it's been the most fun, which is so surprising because yeah. I'm something of an introvert, <laughs> yeah. and um, I've become an extrovert somehow. I, I just you rise and, to
0: the occasion, then you I'm, go back and recharge. <laughs>
10: <through your laughs> it, it is very renewing yeah. and and it is recharging. It is. I love yeah. talking yeah. to people, yeah. just hearing their questions, hearing their interests.
0: Well, Diane, great book and. Um, I look forward to finishing it and uh, learning more about it. And thank you so much for being on Charlotte Readers Podcast. And have fun tonight.
10: Thank you, Landis.
1: Charlotte Readers Podcast is available on social media. On Facebook, at Charlotte Readers Podcast. On Twitter, at Charlotte Reader. On Instagram and on LinkedIn, at Landis Wade.
0: Hey, listeners, I'm here with uh, author Amber Smith at Feast. Amber, how you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, and this is the second time you've been on Charlotte Ridge Podcast, right? Yes, right, right. I feel like a, a veteran. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know the drill. Well, actually, we're not in the studio today. We're sitting over here. They're actually getting the tables ready, and the authors are coming in. So this will just be a little quick hit here about your book. that's uh, going to come out right around the holidays, so that's good. Yeah. Um, you're a New York Times bestselling author of young adult novels. Uh the way I used to be, the last to let go, and something like Gravity, and an advocate for increased awareness of gendered violence, as well as LGBTQ equality. Tell us why.
11: That's right. Um, So, LGBTQ equality and um, gendered violence, these are things that I care deeply about. They are issues that have impacted me personally, um, as a queer person myself, Mm. and um, a lo- uh, most of my books touch on these these issues as well.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think you say that you write in the hope that your books can help foster change and spark dialogue surrounding these issues. Yeah, exactly. So you're going to spark some dialogue tonight?
11: Yeah, yeah let's hope so. Yeah. I'm ready. Yeah. So
0: get around the table and get it going. So the book <laughs> you're featuring tonight at BiblioFeast is something like Gravity, right? Yes. And I was telling the other authors I didn't have time to read their book because I just got it on Friday. We're doing this on Monday. Uh, But I've read your book. Yeah. 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 Because yeah, we had time to do a long-form podcast on this. And it's been described uh, as a very tender, beautiful, told story of first love and first loss. And how finding the right person at the right time can be a very thing that saves us. Right? That's and, right. And you got two characters. Right? Tell yes. us who they are.
11: Yeah. So the book is told from the alternating points of view of the two main characters, Chris and Maya. Mm-hmm. So... Chris has recently come out as Mm -hmm. transgender and is processing a lot of really painful stuff from his past Mm -hmm. uh, in the process of coming out and beginning to transition. And Maya is grieving the loss of her older sister. So even though both of these characters' worlds look so different, the thing that brings them together is that they're both trying to figure out who they're going to become. Mm
0: -hmm. And and so why transgender male. So you chose this. Yeah.
11: Group. You know, it was, um, it, this was a book I started uh, quite a while back, probably about five or six mm-hmm. years ago, sort of in the midst of the, the big debate around marriage equality. Mm-hmm. And I found that um, one of the things I saw happening was this sort of reigniting of a lot of homophobia, but mm-hmm. in particularly transphobia Mm. and I I felt like I was seeing a lot of the things that I experienced as a gay person when I was a teenager being repeated in uh, you know what's happening with queer youth today and in particular those who identify as transgender or non-binary or gender non-conforming and so um, that really stirred up a lot of stuff in in me that I felt like I really need to write about this and so that was sort of um, the beginning of this character who would become Chris.
0: Yeah, and then Chris meets Maya. Maya is a young female that's struggling with her own identity, but for different reasons, not sexual identity. But she's mm-hmm. lost a sister. She's right. trying to find her place in the world. And she and Chris come together one summer, sort of a young love kind of thing. And, uh yeah, there's a little bit of an arc to this story, right? And, and yeah. it has to do with the interrelationships among the families, too, right? Yes, yes, because exactly. Because it's not just Chris and Maya. It's Chris and Chris's mother and Maya and Maya's mother and father. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose if, you know, what do they I asked this question to some of the other authors. Tonight, you know, a novel can sometimes be about characters searching for things. What are these characters searching for?
11: I think um, what these characters are most searching for is... A sense of acceptance mm. whether that's self-acceptance or finding acceptance among among um you know like-minded souls
0: sure sure well um besides being engaged with this story what do you hope readers take away from this uh story something like gravity
11: you know i hope that um readers can can really identify with these characters um regardless if of whether they have um any experience with Um, lgbtq Mm -hmm. issues or if they're transgender or not maybe see Um, transgender
0: people as just people right right.
11: you know and and that's what i feel um really strongly about the fact that this is a a story about falling in love for the first time because Mm -hmm. that's something that you know pretty much everyone can relate to Mm.
0: so what are you looking forward to about Biblia feast tonight
11: Ooh! Aside from the food and the wine, <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. just just meeting meeting readers yeah. who are, you know, passionate about books and yeah. stories, and yeah. getting to share mine.
0: So it's uh, it's good to see you again. Uh, yes, and, always. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, thanks for being. Here. Have fun tonight.
11: Yeah. Yes, I will. You yeah. too. All right. All right.
0: Thanks. <laughs> see you. All right. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. Please don't forget our sponsors, Park Road Books and Charlotte Mecklenburg Library. Links to our five sponsors and the resources are on the webpage and in the show notes. You can find out more about us and our sister shows at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Until next week, I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast.